called, do you remember what it was called? Keep Calm and Thank You, John. I, I like John to be in all the services. Keep Calm and Get Along. And next week, we talk about the Lord's Prayer. We're going to be discussing what does that mean and how do we pray it. For most people, when it comes time to say the Lord's Prayer, we just kind of mumble it through or speed through it, right? Our Father, turn hand, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, for most of us, we don't understand really what it, what it means. And so we're going to talk about that. So we've been talking about our relationship to one another. And next week, we talk about our relationship to God. Today, today is a message that I would call a bridge between the two. Because we say this all the time at our church, that relationships are what life is all about. Our relationships with one another, our relationship with God, is what life is all about. We talk about how to get along with one another, but what does it mean to have a relationship with God? Well, let me, let me, let me just say this this morning. God reveals something of himself, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, And this thing that he reveals about himself is something that you and I have to understand if we are going to get Christianity. If we're going to understand what this Christian life is really all about. If we're going to understand how to have a relationship with God, we have to get this thing that I'm talking about this morning. Back in 1986, I was just starting out in the ministry, and I was learning how to be a pastor. And uh, my job at first was just to sort of... uh, to shadow the pastor and to learn from him, to observe, to keep my mouth shut, to learn, right? So I'm, I happened to be in on a discussion that, that the senior pastor was having. And by the way, those of you who know my family, it's not my father-in-law. Um, I'm listening to this conversation, and a mother had actually called and said, my son has stolen a bit of money out of my purse and has gone to the store and bought some candy. And I'm just wondering, Pastor, how should I deal with this? What should I do? I gotta tell you, I was absolutely shocked and actually horrified at what the pastor's response was. And he wanted to make sure that we gave that boy a real good spanking and make sure that that boy pays back every cent, which wasn't many cents, it was very, just a little bit. And then finally, make sure that he is, he's, pop, he's, he's properly humiliated for doing that sin. Shocked and horrified. By the way, what is a good spanking? I've never had a good spanking in my life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They're, they're, not, they're just not good. Anyway, I think what they mean when they say have a good, give him a good spanking is make sure that he really feels it. I was shocked. I, I couldn't believe that that this pastor could be so lacking in mercy and compassion. What I thought that boy needed was someone just to sit down with him, explain what he did wrong and why he shouldn't do it, and then just simply be forced to pay it back, figure out a way to pay it back. Now, maybe you've known people or situations like this. Maybe you were that, uh, that boy in need of mercy. Maybe you were that parent who didn't know what to do in, this, in that situation. Or maybe you're the pastor and uh, you thought it was your role or your place to counsel severe punishment. The question is, is what do we do with a person who has let us down? What do we do with that person who has failed miserably in life and has uh, just made a string of bad choices one after another? What do you do with that person who's hurt you? And 
that person has taken advantage of you? What do you do with the person who returns to old patterns and bad habits? How do you treat them? Maybe you're that person here this morning who keeps screwing things up. And you're thinking as you're sitting there, Pastor, you sound like you're describing me. You made bad choices. You've messed up too many times. And you feel like you've used up all your chances and there's just no hope. For some of us, we have this idea of God that he's some sort of uh, you know, the, a cosmic baseball umpire in the sky. Strike three and you're out. Can I just remind everybody today that that's not who God is? Because a lot of us have that feeling. I've, I've messed up too many times. There's no point trying to live this Christian life anymore because I can't do it. One of the things that I've seen over 32 years of pastoral ministry, I've seen people who've come to church, I've seen people who tried to follow, but they've messed up, they've made a mistake, and they've thrown up their hands and they say, oh, well, I can never do this. I can never be good enough. And they find themselves quietly, slowly drifting away. They sin, they mess up, and they think, God can't forgive me. Or I've messed up too many times. Surely there's not enough mercy in heaven to cover my sin. Have you ever heard of King David in the Old Testament, the greatest king, Israel's greatest king? One of the things that King David does is he writes a number of the Psalms, not all of the Psalms, but many of the 150 Psalms that are are there in the Old Testament were written by David. And here's the common theme through many of the Psalms, and you can look this up yourself later on if you like. Please don't do it now. But you'll find that David is constantly calling out to God for mercy. God, I need your mercy. God, I can't do this on my own. God, help me. Psalm 41, 4. Oh, Lord, I prayed, have mercy on me. Heal me for what? I've sinned against you. Now, this is a constant refrain with this guy. He's constantly failing. He's constantly dropping the ball. He's constantly letting God down. And he says, God, give me mercy. Show me mercy. I need your mercy. Well, maybe that's you today. You say, Pastor Ron, man, you hit it right on the head. That's me. I really need God's mercy. Well, guess what? If you're that person here today thinking you need God's mercy, guess you're not the only one. Here's what I know about everybody here today. Every single one of you, including myself, needs God's mercy. Thank you, Leonard. Every one of us needs God's mercy. I'm going to tell you this. It's only when you receive that mercy. Ready for this? It's only when you receive that mercy that you discover what true happiness is. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to show you how to be happy. Anybody want to be happy? Be happy. Don't worry. Whatever. I won't sing it. I'll save you that. You want to, of course you want to be happy. Well, I'm going to show you today how you can be happy. And the first thing that you need to know if you're going to be happy is you have to know who God is. You need to understand that God is a merciful God. At the core, at the very core of our relationship with God is God's mercy. Now, some of you are here today saying, Pastor, can you just explain what mercy is? What exactly is that? Well, let me give you the definition from the dictionary. Mercy is compassion or kind forgiveness shown toward an offender or an enemy. Compassion, pity, or benevolence. These are the things that make up mercy. God's compassion for you. God's pity upon you. 
God's benevolence towards you. Now, let me give you just an example of what that looks like. Some of you may or may not have seen the movie Gladiator. But in Gladiator, Russell Crowe, who's Maximus, Decimus, whatever else, <laughs> he, he conquers his enemy. Remember what happens? Then, the, then Caesar stands up, and he's got to make a decision, right? And it's either going to be thumbs up, which means live, or thumbs down, which means die. Thumbs up means what? Mercy. Thumbs down means no mercy. It means death. Folks, that really is what mercy is. It's God sticking his, ha- his hand up and putting, giving us the thumbs up. Saying, I'm giving you mercy. Not because you deserve it, but because it's in my power to do that for you. It's in God's power to show you mercy and compassion. It's in his power to show pity. Now here's the thing. If there were if there was no if there was no mercy, if God was not merciful, guess what? It would be absolutely impossible for you and for me to have a relationship with God. It's God's mercy that makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God. That really is what the book of Romans is all about. In case you haven't read the book of Romans, it's all about how God reveals his mercy to a broken and hurting humanity. Paul establishes at the first chapters of the book of Romans that we were all sinners, that we've all fallen short, we've all sinned. And then Paul goes on to describe how God sends his son Jesus to make it possible for us to be free of our sin. And then Paul goes on to describe the mercy that's shown to the Jews and to the Gentiles. It's all about God's mercy, making it possible for us to have a relationship with God. God reveals himself as a God of mercy. Look at this passage of scripture, Psalm 86, 15. Read it with me. But you, ready? But you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. This is what David has discovered about about his God. Now, it's interesting. This guy, David, in case you don't know, he actually commits adultery with Bathsheba. He actually ends up murdering Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. He lies, he cheats, does all kinds of things wrong. And yet he finds himself constantly throwing himself upon the mercy of God and finding God's mercy. Does that mean God is, is winking at sin? And God's sort of like, oh, well, he's a nice guy. I'll let it go this time. No, it doesn't mean that at all. God's mercy sees our shortcomings. He see, God sees our failing. And God says, I'm going to send my own son to die to wash away your sin. I'm going to do this out of my mercy. And when Nicholas falls short of God's glory, when Nicholas sins against God, God says, I'm going to show Nicholas mercy. Because of what Jesus has done. When Alan Duncast falls short, Nicholas, when your dad falls short, God shows me mercy based on what Jesus has done. David understood so well who God was, understood so well the mercy of God, 
that David had a relationship with God that very few people ever get. In fact, it's so magnificent that David is called a man after God's own heart. And so here's what you and I need to understand. If you and I are going to have a relationship with God, if you and I are going to draw close to the heart of God, then you need to understand God's mercy. You need to understand how much you need God's mercy. The most shocking thing that I have ever seen in all my years as a pastor is when somebody rejects the mercy of God. That, I find, is the most chilling, most shocking, most terrifying thing I've ever seen. You say, Pastor John, what exactly do you mean by that? Some of you know that one of the jobs that a pastor has to do is a pastor has got to go and be at the deathbed of people who are dying. And I've been there with people as they're living the last hours, the last moments of their life. And I'll beg with them and I'll plead themselves I plead with them to to ask themselves if they're prepared and ready to surrender to God and ask God for forgiveness for their sin, to embrace the mercy of God. And I've seen people right to the bitter end absolutely refuse. No, I'm not going to do it. It's terrifying. It's a terrifying thing to behold. And God is giving them one last chance to make their peace with him. Now, there's a reason for this. It's, it's a reason that I think all of us can understand. It's a problem that we all have, and it's our pride. We're too proud to accept anything for nothing. How many times I've told people who are struggling with sin or whatever, some problem in their life, and I'll say, come to church. Come to church and let God help you. And they'll say, Pastor, I'll come to church, but first I gotta get myself cleaned up. How many know what I'm talking about? Once I, once, I, once I give up pot, then I'll be there. Once I can quit drinking, once I can get my, my life started, once I can get cleaned up, then pastor, I'll come to church. And what they don't understand is that you'll never be able to clean yourself up. What they don't understand is that they need God's grace and his mercy. You would think that people would automatically love God's mercy. You would think that people would automatically love his compassion and his pity. But they say, I'd rather earn my way. You know what I'm talking about? I'd rather earn my way with God. I'd rather be a good person. And sometimes you'll hear people say that I'm a good person. I don't murder anybody. I'm committed adultery. I'm kind to people. They don't recognize how much they need his mercy. These are the people who say that religion is a crutch. Have you heard that one? They'll say... Religion is for weak people. And so I will say, yes, you're right. (laughs) Christianity is indeed a, a faith, a religion for weak people, and I'm the weakest of the weak. I need God's mercy. I need his grace. Anybody here say with me today, I need God's mercy? I need God's mercy. Cool, cool. Let me ask you this question. Do you find yourself when you've sinned, when you've fallen short, when you've messed up? Do you find yourself running to God to receive his mercy or do you find yourself running away? Because I'm going to tell you, that's usually what we do. 
We've sinned. We've fallen short. We've made a promise to God. God, I'll never do this again. I'll never sin again. God, I'm making a vow with you today. That sin that I've committed, I will not do it ever again. And then we find ourselves doing it again. And then we find ourselves thinking, well, I made a vow to God. I broke it. So therefore, I guess I can't run back to God. You see, we have this notion and this idea that we have got what it takes to be good people. And the fact of the matter is, is that we don't. Jeff, you don't. I don't. I don't have the strength. But what I do have, Jeff, and what you and I have, is we have the mercy of God that makes it possible for us to run back to God, to run back into his arms. But what we have to understand is how much we need that mercy. If you've read the Old Testament, you know the story of the children of Israel. God delivers them, does all kinds of miracles for them. He's kind to them. And they find themselves drifting away from him all the time. I'll share with you a passage of scripture because Israel's sort of in that state again. They've drifted away from God. They're very religious. And they like to prove their way. They like to prove to God that they can make it. They can do it on their own. They like to say to God, God, I don't need your mercy, but what I, what I will do is I will earn my way. That's right, you can't. And so here's, here's what happens. Micah comes along, Micah the prophet, and he's got a word, a prophecy, a word from God for Israel. And Micah's here speaking as the voice of God, and he says, this is God speaking to Israel, who now is grown hard-hearted towards God. Stand up and state your case against me. Let the mountains and hills be called to witness your complaints. And now, O mountains, listen to the Lord's complaint. He has a case against his people. He will bring charges against Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? This is God asking a question to his people. And God's asking you this question today. My people, what have I done to you? What have I done to make you tired of me? You sitting here today tired of God? God's asking you why. In fact, God says, answer me. For I brought you out of Egypt and redeemed you from slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam to help you. And don't you remember, my people, how King Balak of Moab tried to have you cursed? And how Balaam, son of Beor, blessed you instead of cursed you. And remember your journey from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, when I, the Lord, did everything I could to teach you about my faithfulness? Do you remember any of that? And the people say, well, what can we bring to the Lord? What kind of offerings should we give him? Should we bow down before God with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? You see, that's what we want to do, is we want to atone for our own sins. We want to earn our way with God. We want to prove to God we're good people. And God says, that's not going to cut it. There's no amount of sacrifice that's going to earn God's favor. So God says, here's what you need to do. God says in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, no people, 
Know, O people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what the Lord requires of you. To do what is right. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. That's what God wants of you. Because some of you here today thought you had to earn your way with God. You had to, if, you, if I give enough money, if I get involved enough, if I do enough things for God, if I, if, I, you know, if, I, if I do good things for people, then that will earn me favor with God. And God says, no, what you need is you need to love mercy. You need to love God's mercy. I would say this to you this morning, that the... The real evidence of spiritual maturity in your life is that you love God's mercy. You love it more than anything else. That's the evidence that you are a mature believer, a mature follower of Jesus Christ. You recognize how much you need his mercy, and not only do you recognize how much you need God's mercy, but you're willing to give it to others. Now think about that for a moment. Who in your life has let you down? Who's failed you? Who's been mean to you? Who's hurt your feelings? And God is saying this. You need to learn what it means to show mercy. In 1862, the year I was born... Actually, it was 1962. 1862, Victor Hugo wrote a book called Les Miserables. And it was considered to be probably the greatest novel of the 19th century. It's been turned into, again, the most successful musical of all time. It's been going for 35 years. And uh, this musical has pulled in literally billions of dollars. It struck a chord with people. It's a story based on the 17-year June Rebellion in Paris, which came to a bloody end in 1832. And Hugo masterfully tells the sad stories of so many miserable people, hence the name Les Miserables. At the core of the story is the need of mercy and of what happens when we are unmerciful. Jean Valjean, the protagonist of the novel, is convicted for stealing one loaf of bread to feed his sister's seven starving children. And Jean Valjean is captured and he's thrown into jail and it was supposed to be a five-year term and it turned out that he was in jail for 19 years. When he was finally released, he had no money, he had no place to go, he had no food. And so he thought, well, what shall I do? I know I'll go to the church. I mean, where else would you go if you're in need? And so he goes. And the man who accepts him into his home is Bishop Muriel. He welcomes Jean Valjean. And I understand Jean Valjean's been in prison for 19 years wearing the same clothes, cut, ripped, filthy, dirty, smelly. His hair is a mess. And Bishop Muriel invites him in as though he were royalty. Gets him washed up nicely, gets him some new clothes, invites him to sit at his table. And Jean Valjean receives his hospitality. And when Bishop Muriel goes to bed, Jean Valjean wakes up and steals all the silver in the house. 
takes off in the night, leaving the bishop behind. Now, what do you think a man like that deserves? The police catch up with Jean Valjean, and, and, and they're sure that this guy does not own this silver. He's, they're sure he's stolen it. Brings him back to the bishop. And then the bishop says something that literally shocks the police and Jean Valjean. The bishop scolds Jean Valjean and says, Jean, you forgot the silver candlesticks. What were you thinking? He chastises Jean for forgetting the silver. And then he leans in and whispers in Jean Valjean's ear, And he says this, forget not, never forget that you have promised me to use this silver to become an honest man. Jean Valjean, my brother, yes, calling this thief his brother. Jean Valjean, my brother, you belong no longer to evil, but to good. It is your soul that I'm buying for you. I withdraw it from the dark and from the spirit of perdition and I give it to God. That, my friends, is mercy. The first time I saw this story, I can tell you, when it got to that point, I cried like a a girl. (laughs) I cried like a girl. Why? Because of the beautiful way that mercy is revealed in this story. Because I recognized in myself Jean Valjean, the dirty, filthy thief who did not deserve mercy, but was shown mercy. Now let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now. Because what that bishop did for Jean Valjean is exactly what Jesus Christ does for you and for me. You don't deserve God's mercy, but he gives it to you anyway. You see, Pastor Ellen, it's such a huge risk to show people mercy. It is. That bishop didn't know whether or not Jean Valjean would go and spend the silver on alcohol, drugs, or pot, or any other things that we don't want to, reasons we use to not give money to poor people. He took a risk. Jean Valjean, what he really deserved was to go back to prison. And not only because he stole silver, but because he took advantage of of a man's innocent and kind hospitality. I'm going to tell you this. Jesus himself tells us how we ought to treat people. And I'm going to tell you right now before I go any further that what I'm asking you to do is not easy. In fact, what I'm asking you to do is impossible unless you have the help and the grace of God. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 7. Read it with me. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Listen, this is the essence of Christianity. Next week, we talk about our relationship with God and how much we need his mercy. But we just talked about how we need to relate to one another, how we need to get along with one another. And the only way that we're going to be able to get along with one another is if we learn how to show each other mercy. 
Think about it right now. From whom are you withholding God's mercy? Who, who are you holding a grudge against? And you say, I'll never forgive him. I'll never forgive her. I'll never let it go. And I hope they burn in hell. Think for a moment about what that means. Because the measure that you use on others, God's going to use on you. Do you really want that man, that woman, that child, that neighbor, that boss, that spouse to burn in hell? Really? Do you really mean that? Because the Bible says, blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That word blessed is kind of confusing for some people. They don't really know what it means. I'll tell you what it means. The Greek word means it's happy. I don't know why they don't just say happy are those who are merciful, but the word is happy. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. What's going to bring you happiness in your life is that you start letting people go free. When you start showing mercy, yes, even to those ones who you think don't deserve it, And remember, as you're showing mercy, God is showing mercy to you. That, my friends, is what Christianity is all about. And if you don't get that, this Christianity thing, it'll never make sense to you. And so who needs to be showing mercy? I'll tell you, it's it's one of the greatest well-kept secrets of our culture, of our day, of the faith. Show mercy so that you may be showing mercy. Does anyone here right now need mercy? Do you need someone to take compassion upon you? Do you need someone to take pity on you? Who needs mercy today? Who needs mercy? Me too. You and me. Who else needs mercy? Anybody else? Yeah, I need mercy. Yes. We need, we need God's mercy. And so if you want to be shown mercy, it begins by showing mercy. Mercy is risky because you really don't know what people are going to do with it. The bishop didn't know for sure what Jean Valjean would do. When we're merciful to others, we don't know if people will change or become better or if they'll go back and do even worse. And so it is with God. He takes a huge, huge risk, Alvesa, and showing you God his mercy. Takes a huge risk in showing me his mercy. What, what am I going to do with that mercy? Am I going to give God thanks for it? Am I going to change my life? Am I going to become the man God wants me to be? And here's what I'm hoping, Al. I'm hoping that you and I will understand God's mercy, that we will respond to his mercy and become the man that God wants us to be. And I I want you to know this today, that once you've experienced God's mercy and you understand his compassion and his love for you, and that you don't deserve his mercy, I can tell you, Ellen, I think you're the same. There's nothing that I want more than to please my heavenly father. And I have a feeling that just might be the way it is with those kids of yours that are driving you nuts and you just don't want to see their face. You want nothing to do with them. They're making you crazy. They need your mercy. 
Another feeling that when you show them mercy, they're going to respond. That spouse who's let you down, that husband, that wife has failed you. You show them mercy and watch how they will respond. That's, that's the God we serve. That's what this Christianity is all about. Paul says in light of God's great mercy, offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God. Give your whole self to God. Considering what he's done for you, give yourself fully to him for his purposes. In The Merchant of Venice, Portia asks Shylock to show mercy. And Shylock asks, on what compulsion must I? Why should I? And Portia says, the quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is twice blessed. It blesseth him that gives and him that takes. That's the nature of God's mercy. You bless the person that receives your mercy and you also receive the blessing of showing mercy. That, my friends, is where happiness comes from. When you begin to show mercy to others, you are blessed by receiving his mercy and they are blessed because they've received your mercy. Who needs mercy in your life right now? Who needs to be forgiven? Who are you angry at? Who are you making suffer right now because they've let you down? I can tell you our nature is to judge, to get even. And yet God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Let God deal with it. You need to forgive. You need to show mercy. You say, but Pastor Allen, they don't deserve it. You have no idea what they did. Think about what God has forgiven you. Think of what you've done. And think how much God loves you. Do you know that pastor I was telling you about at the beginning of the message? That pastor who didn't want to show mercy, he wanted to show judgment. Teach that kid a lesson, that little brat. We'll teach him not to steal 25 cents from his mother. We'll teach him not to steal a loaf of bread for seven starving children. We'll teach them a lesson. That pastor walked and functioned in judgment without mercy. And at the height of his ministry, somebody accused him of something of an indiscretion. And I'm going to tell you, when I heard about it, I thought, well, you know, it was a mistake. It wasn't severe. It wasn't, it wasn't unforgivable. It certainly was no reason or cause for him to lose his credentials, but he did. His credentials were yanked. And I thought to myself instantly of all the times that he'd been unmerciful and unkind. Now, I don't say that with any glee in my heart. I say that with fear and trembling. I say that with fear and trembling because I recognize what I deserve. 
Do you recognize what you deserve? Because if you do, then you're going to be a merciful person. This man lost his credentials, was publicly humiliated, was punished, and had to pay back. The same measure he used on that little boy was used on him. I don't want to go through that. I, I want mercy. So I show mercy. Would you stand with me, please? God, we stand here today, every one of us, every last one of us, recognizing our extreme and utter need of your mercy. When we think of what we really deserve for our sin, for our failings, for our weaknesses, for the ways that we have just dropped the ball and made a mess of our lives in so many ways, when we think about that, God, help us first of all to be grateful. But secondly, help us to be prepared to show mercy to the people in our lives. For that one this morning whose heart is so filled with anger, with bitterness, resentment, God, today would be, we pray that today would be the day they let it go. They'd be willing to make, make that huge risk of showing mercy to that person who needs it. God, we pray that as we go from here, we would go as a people who are merciful in all our ways. And we thank you in Jesus' name for your mercy and for the strength to be merciful. In Jesus' name. And everyone said it? Tell the person beside you, go be merciful.